Well, welcome. Welcome to the Scuttlebutt Podcast. I'm Rich Mellon. Tonight we have from the incredible Republic of Texas, we have a, a fellow trapper, Nick Folliker. Nick, th- uh, thank you for joining us and welcome to the program. Rich, it's an honor. I've been, uh, I own a lawn business. So during the day when I'm cutting grass, uh, I listen to you guys. Um, I listen to every trapping podcast I can, any, any content I can download. Um, between you guys and the meteor guys, um, I'm like, well, I guess we're just going to have to work four days a week instead of five because, <laughs> uh, there's just not, there's nothing to listen to. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I started, uh, I think it was actually going on, um, one of the, one of our trips to the NTA and it, it was like 35, 36 hour drive one way. And, and so we started listening to podcasts and they're very addictive after a while. It's like, why did I ever listen to radio? Oh, you know? I know, most definitely. And you learn so much. Um, I like the real informative ones. Uh, I just started listening to audiobooks because I just did a a trip from West Texas here to Central Pennsylvania to go on an elk hunt with my dad. And then I went down, I bow hunted up there for the rest of the week. And then I went down to Kentucky for my little, me and a, a buddy of mine that I met when I first joined the military. We've been hunting in Kentucky at his mom and dad's house on that farm for, well, since 05. And that's an annual trip. We go hunt the rut. We bow hunt the rut. And then rifle season opens up on Saturday. And then we go on dope patrol on Sunday usually and fill our tags and got a full <laughs> freezer right now. <laughs> that's always <laughs> you know, good. Though. It takes me about a week to butcher everything. I, I get a kick out of you guys. You go, oh, five. Like, that's a long time ago. You sent me a yeah. little a little blurb <laughs> on your history there. You were born two years after I graduated high school. <laughs> I'm feeling like an old dog around here, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, I was, at, I was at the VA today, and a guy said something about 1986. And I kind of leaned my head around the corner. And I said, yeah, I was seven. <laughs> and you should have heard him he's like oh my god these young whippersnappers they're already yeah. retired how old am i yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you uh you were born in pa yes yes pittsburgh. i was born in the uh, north of pittsburgh yeah about 55 miles north of pittsburgh in a little little uh well, the, the town with the hospital is called butler pennsylvania and uh, I grew up in Shakora, which is right next to the the hometown of Jim Kelly of the Buffalo Bills, the uh, four-time AFC champion. No Super Bowls, though. I guess that means a lot to you, you fellas, because <laughs> when we were in Texas here back in October, we watched our first ever college game. <laughs> oh, <laughs> really? It, it, it was when the Aggies beat the Tide, I, which... Oh yeah. I'm just I'm just repeating what I was told. It was like it was a big deal. And I, I, I know I, the guy that we were hunting with, the outfitter, he was he was excited as all heck because I guess he was an Aggie. Yeah, he was an Aggie. And it it, it, <laughs> it was actually exciting <laughs> watching how excited he was. And, and uh he was phoning his dad and and, and his mom and his and his uh the rest of his family, then they'd be calling back and forth while this game was going on. It was it was pretty funny. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, there's you don't you don't see a lot of college football. There's college football up there. You know, we had Penn State growing up and Pitt, but it wasn't. There was nothing that rivaled Steeler football. Yeah. So the Pittsburgh Steelers and the NFL is. I mean, that is Steeler Nation is there for a reason. They call Dallas the Americans America's team, but uh, 
I think uh, I think there's a lot of debate going there because uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers travel well, and there's almost almost in every city in the United States there's a there's a Steeler bar on Sunday afternoon where everybody wearing black and gold throwing a terrible towel, <laughs> and it's a it, it's a phenomenon uh, unlike you'd ever see if you really dug into it. It's, well, it's cool. pretty crazy. How? How big is Pittsburgh? I like I have no idea. Oh hell, I haven't I have no idea either. I haven't been there. I left for the military in ninety seven and I go back and visit. And that like, is it. <laughs> like a million people? It, is, oh, I think it's I think it's bigger than that. They uh I know in um I follow the politics um a lot because a lot of the stuff dictates uh, veterans benefits and especially when I was active duty, because those guys, they were the ones that, you know, said, Hey, you need to go do this. Hey, you need to go do that. So we, I try to follow it and be educated on it as much as possible. And, uh, PA politics, there's uh, 67 counties in Pennsylvania and 11 of them are blue. And the state usually goes with those 11 counties. There's 10 over there by Philadelphia and Allegheny County where Pittsburgh is. And everybody, all the other counties, almost all of them are red. How is that? So, I, like, it happens here too. Like, you take the the entire province of British Columbia, which is which would be, I don't know how many Pennsylvanias put together, and probably a lot. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it might it, it might be a half a dozen or more Pennsylvanias put together. There's a wart on its buttocks down on the corner there called Vancouver. <laughs> Vancouver, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, like, I, I forget, there's just under 5 million people live in, in, in British Columbia. And I, I think like three and a half million live, live there, you know, like, yeah. and, and, and so whatever Vancouver wants, Vancouver gets. And, and, you know, so they, they up here, it's uh liberal and it's funny because yeah. the colors are reversed. It's, it's red. Liberals are, are red and, and the conservatives are blue. <laughs> Anything to confuse any, any everybody, you know. I know. But, you know, I you said it mouthful, though, when you said you, that you like to keep current. I mean, it, it is so important today. People people are not current about anything. And, you know, we all talked about for forever that education was the answer. You know, we'd have no more. We there, Nobody would smoke. Nobody would drink. There'd be no unwanted pregnancies. There'd be, you know, no drunk driving or anything like that. Once we were all educated. Well, we now have the world in our hand, the entire world, all the knowledge of the entire world in our hand, and we're stupider than ever. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'll tell you, I always tell people, I said, you know, when, if things were ever to go south, uh, the city folks would be moving out into the country in search of basic needs. And most of them wouldn't make it. And the ones that did would either conform or they wouldn't make it. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's just the way it is. Your options are narrowing here, guys. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's, it's funny when, when Sandy was uh, um, with the Royal Bank of Canada, she was uh, a, uh, uh, an area uh, vice president. She had 20 people on her. And they all, I mean, they were all age of her own kids. Okay. So she said, I'm, I'm the work mom. I'm the home mom. She said, I never get away from any of them. You know, they're all all in their mid thirties to, to just about 40. And she, and, and the 20 of them, 
she said like there are very few of them had any life skills outside of what they could do on their phone or or doing the in the uh in the city and that and they they didn't make any bones about it that if they if the the wheels came off and the world went to hell they were headed to sandy's place because they knew that they, they could they, <laughs> she, they, <laughs> they, they, they stayed alive and got fed you know <laughs> You better you better go pick up a couple more malls for splitting wood. <laughs> You'd never have to cut another log in your life. I know, I know. It was it was so funny though because they they were dead serious. We uh, that came out. We were having um oh just before she left uh, there so a couple years ago. We were having a, an event out at our place out here, and and uh, they were they're all dead serious. They were they were coming out here because Sandy would take care of them. It's like, ha. Huh. I, I would have no more said that when I was, you know, by the time I turned 18, that I was looking for somebody to take care of me than, than, you know, go jump off the bridge. Right. Oh yeah. When I was 18, it was all wide eyes. And, and I was, you know, I've been working since I was 12 years old. I've had started with a paper route, like a lot of, a lot of hardworking folks do in in the United States. And then, you know, you work up in the grocery store, you work on a construction crew or you do both. Like I did, you know, during the summers I'd work construction. And stuff like it, just being a helper, and uh, you learn a work ethic. Yep. And once you get that work ethic down, you know, when I was in tenth grade in high school, they said, "What are you going to do? What college are you going to go to?" And I just started laughing. And I said, "I said I drink so much beer now. I said there's no way in the world I'd ever make it through college, so I'm going to join the military." <laughs> I figured you'd fit in there. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I figured I'd learn something cool, so I went down to the recruiter and. And they said, uh, well, my, my parents asked me because my dad was in the Navy for a little stint uh, right towards the end of Vietnam. And my mom was in Army Reserves and all my uncles served in Vietnam on my grandma's side and on my on my dad's side. And on my grandpa's side, they all served in World War Two. Oh, wow. And uh, it's, it's a very huge military tradition And our family has joined the military. So I was right. like, well, that's what I'm doing. I, I mean. I've been putting camo on as soon as I could pick my clothes out in the morning. You know, I was dressed like Rambo ready to go. And, and God forbid when I got my BB gun, there wasn't, a, <laughs> there wasn't a rabbit safe in, in the, in the air where I could walk. There wasn't a rabbit or a Tweety bird safe. I kill more birds than, uh, than a feral cat. <laughs> and, uh, so I joined the air force and my mom and dad were like, well, my uncle says he was a, a combat Marine. And he was in Quezon in 68. And he mean, got out of the Marine bugger. Corps. Oh, yeah. He's, he's a tough, tough dude. <laughs> so he got out of the Marine Corps and went home. And he said, I was home a week. He goes, I didn't have nobody shooting at me, nobody yelling at me, nobody telling me what to do. So I joined the Army for another 24 years. <laughs> he said, I went back to Vietnam two more times. And he said, if you're going to do it, don't do it how I did it learn a trade. And, uh, so I went into the recruiter's office and he says, uh, so what, uh, I said, what kind of jobs do you have open? And he gave me this list of jobs and there's a bunch of them on there that I thought would be cool. But now that, and, and you know, looking back on it, I'm glad I didn't pick those ones because <laughs> they're terrible. So, uh, I picked a satellite communications wideband systems and I, I said, well, I'm going to do satellite communications. I said, this is, this is right up my alley. And I've been a, I was a combat comm guy for 16 years in the air force. And then I went and transitioned over to uh, air control squadron, which is 
uh, basically the air traffic controllers in the airspace. So they got tankers at a certain level. They got fighters at a certain level and they bring everybody up and down. And, uh, and then I got to here in Texas in 2013 and I was assigned the dreaded base communications, which that was all, all foreign to me. And I ended up being a project manager and, and doing a bunch of the base telephone system stuff and running network infrastructure shops and, and things like that. I mean, I was really good at managing, but when it came to the uh, ones and zeros and punching a keyboard, that wasn't my thing. So I, uh, once I got out, right before I retired, I got moved to the inspector general's office and was doing inspections and, uh, you know, compliance and stuff like that. And I started a little lawn business on the side to pay for the zero turn that I bought from my new house. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, uh, that has morphed into, I think I started that in 2015 and, uh, we just uh, put the business up for sale this year. So I'm going to sell that business and, and, uh, go into real estate because I really value the freedom that I have with the lawn business because it's seasonal and it usually cuts off right before the rut. And <laughs> then I got all winter to trap. And uh, once once everybody starts rubbing out, then I start cutting grass again. And I mean, what who could ask for a better situation? No kidding. Besides so my you... wife. <laughs> <laughs> what, why are you selling? Uh, I'm going to get into real estate. It's just, you know, when it's 100 degrees out and you're out there running a weed eater and mowing a yard, it's just getting to be a little taxing on me. I've, I've flirted with heat stroke a couple of times, oh, heat exhaustion. And yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm 43 years old and I've, I've put my body through enough over, over the military career and into this little lawn business. I think it's time to start uh, focusing on some little more wages and uh, a lot. I'm a real people person. So I think that's going to suit me well. And I've had several people tell me the same thing. So I'm going to give it a shot. And if it don't work out, then maybe I'll open a tannery because <laughs> I'm not working for anybody else. I'll tell you that right now, Rich. <laughs> I'll tell you the one thing, the only good thing about, about getting gray in your, in the, in the whiskers is that usually <laughs> when you get old, you end up with money. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. Life gets fun, you know. The, the, it might be a lot harder to, to to climb those mountains or or whatever than it ever was, but you you end up with the the rewards if you've worked worked hard through your life. And that, you know, I started in construction when I was twelve, and I would work, you know, after after schools and and weekends and and uh, of course all through the summer and, and Christmas holidays, all that kind of stuff. And I learned. You know, you talked about a work ethic. I learned learned work ethic really quick. You know, if they handed me a shovel, well, I made sure that I had, you know, three scoops of gravel in the air at a time. And pretty quick, they decided I was too valuable to be on that shovel. So then they'd go teach yep. me something and I'd be learning, learning, you know, how to, how to build and stuff like that. I, I figured that yep. out that, that that out pretty quick and it served me well. I went through and, and uh, I got my trade and, and construction and, and that kind of stuff. But would you recommend for somebody to do what you did and go through the military. Oh, most definitely. It's the, it's the most rewarding, uh, experience I've ever had in my life. I mean, I've traveled the world. The only continent I haven't been on is Australia and, uh, Antarctica. <laughs> uh, 
Now, I have a great granted, story about Antarctica. <laughs> now, granted, I haven't I haven't been to the really nice places of a lot of these places, but yeah. uh, I did get to live in Europe for a couple of years, um, where I where I really got ingrained with the Canadians uh, playing ice hockey uh, with the with a base team at Ramstein, and uh, that's a we, dead giveaway. Every time you know. we, oh, I'll tell that, you that, that, that that's that, a that's a dead giveaway when you say ice hockey because here's oh, yeah. just hockey. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's hockey. Yeah, so so it, it was really fun because you know the NATO guys from Gallenkirchen, they uh, the Canadian guys, they they always put on a big hockey tournament every year, and we'd travel up there and go to it. And and after our game, you'd go back in the locker room, and there'd be sliced oranges and a case of Moosehead for every team after every game. And uh, and you know you you start looking at the rosters and. And you see the youngest guy on the roster is like 23 years old, right? And the second youngest guy is 42. <laughs> and they would wipe the ice with everybody. And, and you know, the American hockey style is a lot more rough and tumble, hitting. And, but the finesse of the Canadian hockey style, once we, uh, we played them, the first game I ever played against them, and I, I was a pretty – I was played defense and – you know, I loved fighting and I loved hitting and I loved the penalty box. Apparently, <laughs> uh, they this this one one old Canadian guy kind of skated over to me and he goes, "Don't do that again because if you do, you're going to have problems." And I was just like when my dad said, "Take your glasses off, let's go outside." When I was a teenager, I said, "No, I'm not. I'm not doing that." So I wised up real quick. The guys that didn't, I got to watch what happened to them. And, and, and I'm a quick learner. I Hopefully people would understand that I'm a quick learner. So I never had to, I never had to go through that because you, those boys could put a puck wherever they wanted and they could hit you whenever you never knew they were there. And it was the most amazing time of my, I was 23, 24 years old. And I just had so much fun with those guys. I really, really did. You, you're one of the guys that could, that could learn, but from watching your buddy pee on the electric fence, you didn't have to pee on the electric fence. <laughs> oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah. The military, the military gave me so much. Uh, I learned so much coming from a small town in Western Pennsylvania. Um, it opened my eyes and the guys that, you know, I go back home and I see them and they all want to hear stories because they never left. And I yeah. think that's something that, that everybody should do. I totally get out and about, yep. get out and about and see different things. I mean, when I finally, when I moved out of Pennsylvania and I finally got to my first duty station where I could go hunting, um, guys were like, Hey, we're going hunting in the morning. I said, no, you're not. It's Sunday. And they said, oh. what do you mean? It's Sunday. I said, Pennsylvania, you can't hunt on Sunday. You can't hunt on Sunday. And they're like, what are, what are you? going to church? I was like, <laughs> well, obviously not. I, mean, <laughs> I said, I said, you guys hunt on Sundays in Georgia? They're like, oh, yeah, we do. So that was lesson one. Lesson two was I showed up and I was wearing uh, an orange snowsuit, like all good Pennsylvanians wear first day of rifle season, you know, the carrot suit. And they looked at me they're like, what in the world are you doing? I said, <laughs> I said, this is the only orange I have. They said, you wear that hunt? I said, in Pennsylvania, you have to. Or you end up getting shot. <laughs> Because we got we got a million people in the woods opening day, you know. Yeah. And uh, they said, "Yeah, all you need here is a hat and a vest." I said, "Oh, okay." So, 
I saved up some money and bought a $4 hat and a $6 vest. And then I wasn't so ridiculous looking whenever I went to woods. <laughs> uh, that's you, you, you just, you know, that story just encapsulates, encapsulates what I enjoy the most about traveling is getting in with, with, with somebody who it's their life. That's where they live. <clears throat> Lots of yeah. times when we go hunting, wherever we, wherever we've hunted in the world, we like to get there with, you know, either with the, uh, the, uh, the owner of the operation or or with the uh, the uh, the pH or the guide or whatever we want to live with them and their family and really get to see the life that's the cool part yeah that, that, the culture is the key yeah once you learn the culture it broadens your scope to trying new things in your where you're comfortable and yeah. once you do that it opens so many doors to anything deer hunting business, I mean, there's so many opportunities that you're missing because you're so laser focused. And once you open that focus up, you see different avenues that uh, that will help you succeed yeah. in everything you do. And, you know, to never be afraid to try, to try something new. And it's like, I mean, I've always been a kind of person that tried stuff. And, and uh, But the lady I married, like, oh, my God. Like, I mean, when they, when they say who wants to jump, jump, you know, tie this rubber band around your leg and jump off the bridge. She's, she's got a first one with her hand up. It's, it's a tough gig, man. Following with following around with that girl. Let me tell you, she, she is eager to try everything. And oh my God, life is so much fun when you do that. You know, like, it is just so much fun to be able to go out and, and just go give it all a try. You win some, you lose some, but just, so what, you know, you get to a point in life, like where I'm at now is that, you know, there would be times when I would, I failed earlier in life at, at, at whatever. And that would haunt me for a long time. Like, I mean, yeah. nobody need, ever needed to criticize me. I was my own biggest uh, critic. Right. And mm -hmm. now I'm, I'm a lot more relaxed and laid back about it. Cause about 98% of, uh, of the mistakes you make in life, nobody else knows about, but yourself. You know what I mean? Exactly. Very, very, just as long as you don't make them the second time. That's, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's I, do, I do everything on TV. So I, mean, it's like, <laughs> I have to be, I have to be careful. The only thing I have to be careful about on TV or on podcasts is my mouth. Um, you know, being a, a construction worker and owning a, a company, a, a construction company and all that, I, I could make the devil blush. <laughs> oh yeah. Believe me. Believe me. My being wife, in the military for 20 some years. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's we 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 could sit here and trade and, and trade insults, I'm sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> Maybe learn some new languages. I, before we started, you know, and I was waiting for that link, I I sat down in my chair and I closed my eyes and I kind of folded my hands and centered myself and I just kept saying, Don't swear, don't yeah. swear, don't swear. <laughs> tell you a story we were uh we were working on a sportsman show me and my my partner in my in the our we were in a, a hunting tv show for 20 some 20 years and anyway he was my, my business partner we did a lot of seminars all together we're at this big sportsman show and and we were the headliners so they wanted us to go do this this uh, radio talk show and so we had to go to downtown calgary and and uh, we're sitting outside the the uh uh the booth and that uh it was a all an enclosed room that they, they took us into the studio first out walks this big guy he's a samoan and he's just he's like this wide and this tall you know your average samoan, oh yeah just big big guy yeah and he looks and he says 
he's just uh you know he has that really cool accent that they have and he's just well you know what are you guys doing here we said well we're here to talk with jerry on you know on cj and and Milton's door, he goes, he says, hey, Jerry, he says, there's two old dudes out here to talk to you. <laughs> I think I was, I was about 45 at the time. I was like, oh. So we go in there. And Jerry is a, a really, he's one of these really fast talkers, fast, fast, fast. And he's hilarious and he's loud and he's aggressive. And, and you know, you, he's, you, you think it'd be really cool to be being interviewed by and everything. So I'm sitting there, I'm talking to him. He turns the, the, the uh, microphone off. And so we're off the air. Every word out of his mouth is F. Every. He could use it as a noun, a verb, an adverb, an adjective. Yeah. Like every word turns it back on and it goes away. And all I'm, and I'm like you, I'm like, don't swear. Don't swear. Don't, don't say F. Don't say F. I was, I was distraught for a little while. Oh my God. But and then I got, I got in trouble with uh, one of his co-hosts was a lady and she was like a 20 something young girl and all that and you have to know me like uh i i, I don't take life too seriously and they were talking about you know what was there to see you know like what is the ladies wanted to come we were talking about there was this giant houseboat there that they put on shushwap lake and over in bc and i don't know it's 60 feet long or something it's just gigantic right and you live on it for out on the water and she says so you know what can you do on this thing i saw you can there's a uh, a water slide off the top you go swimming you, you know it's two stories tall and and well, you know, what, what's there just for ladies to do? I said, well, it's got a built-in vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> hey folks, Rich from Trapping Inc. TV here. And it's no secret that I'm a big fan of coffee. Our friends at Old Smokes smoke roast their coffee beans over wood fires. You have no idea how good coffee can taste until it's smoked coffee. Did you know that studies have shown that just the smell a fresh coffee can boost brain activity. Yeah, it's that good. Sandy and I have teamed up with Old Smokes Coffee to make our own Trapping Ink coffee blend. Let me introduce you to Wolverine, an ultra dark roast coffee bean smoked over maple wood fires. This is the pure, uncut trapper's fuel that keeps us laughing and trapping all day long. If you'd like to try our special blend, you can find it at www.trappinginc.com forward slash shop if dark roast isn't your thing old smokes has five different coffee roasts from light to extra dark each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor right now you can order from their online store and use our promo code rich that's r-i-c-h and get 10 percent off your entire order just go to www.oldsmokescoffee.com that's o-l-e smokescoffee.com and use the promo code rich that is promo code rich for 10 percent off your entire order and now let's get back to today's show. I was pretty sure she was going to swear. <laughs> oh my goodness! You know, me and my wife we we go back and forth like that. I mean, we've been married for eighteen, almost nineteen years, and and my wife is definitely not the uh, she's she's become the outdoor type, but she's she was never the outdoor type, you know. And uh, hell, she didn't even kill her first deer until we moved to Texas. Oh wow! So when we moved out here, I moved out here by myself with the kids and my daughters, you know, they're, they're five and they were five and seven. I think when we moved out here and now they're almost 16 and 18, but they, uh, I got on a deer lease and that year I couldn't go to Kentucky. So I shot a good buck on veterans day. And then 
April came in after uh, Christmas. I said, well, let's go. We got, we got to shoot some does. So all four of us in the deer blind, these does came out in the field and she shot her first doe. And she's kind of like that, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And then I grabbed the rifle and I shot a doe. And before, before I could get the gun on safe, both my kids run out of the blind. They run out there and they're grabbing these deer. And one of them was still kicking. <laughs> they're, they're pulling on the legs. They're like, let's drag them down here, Dan. What do we do next? You know? And, uh, and that's, you know, that's ever since then, you know, April's she's, we're going to go out this weekend because I missed, uh, opener because of the elk hunt with my dad. So I'm going to take everybody out this weekend and we're going to go out there and fill some tags. Oh, that's good. Off, off another freezer. That's yeah. fur. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love, I love introducing kids to stuff because they're just little savages. There's just, there is nothing that they won't try or do. Um, oh yeah. I've always said this and uh, I forget who told me old, old fella anyway. And it was like, he said, I tell you what, boy, he says, kids and dogs, they ain't nothing. You don't teach them. And it's yep. the truth. That's, <laughs> That's the truth. The truth. You know, if you teach them to be, to be scared of something or, 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 or not to try stuff and all that, you're teaching every time they're watching you every time you're, you're, you're doing stuff. And we just spent the weekend out with a uh, uh, six year old grandson uh, came out again yeah. this year. Uh, he had such a terrible trip last last year. Well, he didn't oh, know. He I had... saw I saw that episode. Little Tater's got a skunk. He wasn't yeah. happy. <laughs> well, he didn't know. He was just he, he, he. Everything was so new to him, right? And he's he's not. Yeah. Um, you know, like some like his his sister is two years younger than him, and and I call her Chaos. Like honest to God, like <laughs> that's 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 her nickname is Chaos, and I mean she just charges headlong into life, like boom, and. But he's always been a, a, a little bit of a of a, a setback. Check it all out. Now this year, one year difference, and he's been out there before, and that he's just so excited, so excited, yeah. and and he had a great trip. And oh my god, did we we picked up a lot of a lot of fur in that? So it it was awesome. But it it, it is so cool to take kids out and show it. I mean, I I forget. I get you know it's it's that. Uh, you know, all men, I think at heart, or or a lot of men are are efficiency experts, right? You're always mm-hmm. trying to trying to cut a corner or 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 get six things laid out so you you could do all six at one time and and that kind yep. of stuff. And and that's the way I get out on the trap line. Is I get really really efficient. And I mean, God only knows when you when you have you know hundreds and hundreds of of snares and sets and everything that that you got out there. And and you keep them up here. And I can't remember what I had for supper yesterday. You know what I mean? Right. I know, I know where all my snares are. And, you know, you just, you, you tend to uh, allow that muscle memory to, to take over. Right. And having yeah. him there, having a new person there and the questions they ask that, that is so good for me because it makes yes. me think, you know, slows you down a little bit, takes yeah. you off of autopilot. Most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it certainly does. Well, let's talk about how you started trapping. Okay, you 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 was it a, a thing that you did like in in Pennsylvania? No, actually, I didn't. Um, my grandparents did, my granddad did, my dad did. Um, so I have my dad's brother Dave. Uh, he joined. He did. He was like me. He, as soon as he could graduate and join the army, he did, and he ended up in Fairbanks. Oh wow! And then he moved down to Anchorage. And was fishing out of Cordova, and then he was trapping uh, mink 
on Copper River. And he would trap other things, I guess. But uh, meat trapping was something that he loved to do. And it always stuck with me. You know, Uncle Dave's coming back. And he'd always come back in the wintertime. And he'd bring home these giant coolers full of crab legs and halibut and salmon, moose, you know, caribou. I mean, it was just, we couldn't wait for Uncle Dave to come home. And uh, that always stuck with me. So when I got to Texas, I got on a deer lease and we had a coyote problem like everybody does. Uh, And, you know, we hunt primarily around feeders because it's so thick. It's almost impossible to still hunt. And uh, the coons were eating me out of house and home on my feeder. So I bought some dog proof coon traps and I had some old, uh, old, I think they were one and a half, maybe. I don't know. They were really little, really, really small, uh, single, long spring, uh, basically mink traps. So I tried that. And, uh, utter failure, you know, pocket sets and stuff like that, just trying to thin the coons out. And then I got the dog proofs. So I started cleaning them up. And I said, well, I need to, I need to figure out how to trap a coyote. So I had a dove field that a friend let me use. And I put some sets around that. And finally, I caught my first coyote. And I think I caught her, in a, caught her in a Duke one and three quarter. And she broke the dog off of it. And I was so mad about that. <laughs> so that, you know, I got, I got her, uh, I got a Euro mount done over her head, her skull. And uh, I just thought that was the coolest thing. So then I started watching everything i could possibly watch um the big thing that got me started was watching alan probes with f and t and uh i started consuming that every chance i got and i I actually picked up uh watching you guys and watching uh jeff dunlap not jeff dunlap clint locklear and jeff dunlap both of them actually so i just started consuming as much content as i possibly could and then I got on the F and T website and my wife goes, how much money did you spend on that credit card? <laughs> <laughs> so here, here I am now. It's an I've investment, got, uh, honey. It's an investment. It's a, exactly. <laughs> These things are not going to go bad. Exactly. And I've got, uh, you know, I went home on leave and, and I ended up bringing back a whole bunch of one tens and, uh, 110 Connor Bears and uh, a couple 220s, a couple 330s. And uh, and then some, I was like, these traps just aren't big enough to handle. I mean, they're great for coons on the creeks, but it's just not handling everything I need to handle. And uh, a buddy of mine's like, hey, man, go check out these uh, MBs, MB 650s and 550s. So I started looking at those and I was like, these are a lot. A lot better than, you know, all the mistakes I've made through learning, which were many. I mean, I've walked, I've walked a solid half a mile with a two twenty on my boot to go back to the back to the truck to get the setters so I could get them off, you know. And uh, and and then I started running strictly. I, I found some used traps on on the Facebook and and I bought them up and I ended up with uh, I don't know I probably got eight or nine dozen of six fifties and number fours on eight foot of chain with drags. 
And uh, this year, and and that's why I primarily run that. And snares are snares are my money maker for sure when it comes to putting fur in the shed uh, in Texas. Uh, are you allowed the, killing snares? Oh yeah. Okay. So in, in Texas, the the regulations are uh, fur bears one November. You can trap them however you want, except for, uh, I believe your Kana bears have to be your three thirties and two twenties and stuff. They have to be so close to water. If you're just going to set them on dry land. Uh, other than that, coyotes, bobcats and mountain lions, uh, no close season, no limit, not considered fur bears and everything else is, you know, Texas, Texas is, is the land opportunity. It's kill them all because they just keep making them. Um, there's uh there's no shortage of them because we're, I think we're 90, we're over 90% privately owned. So you're not going to deal with the stuff like they deal with in Montana and, uh, yeah. and New Mexico. Yeah. So if, if I'm on a ranch and the rancher says, Hey, I've got coyotes. Uh, you know, I have to be the the good steward and I have to ask the questions. How many dogs do you have? Are they tied up? What, you know, what about the neighbors? I, I've got to ask all these questions because, you know, you catch a dog in a snare and I don't put deer stops on my snares very often. Now, if I'm, if I'm working a high fence or something where there's big money whitetails on it, then yes, I do. Just if I catch one by the foot, He'll be able to get out. It won't be an issue. Um, and we also have the massive pig problem as well. And I've caught several pigs in snares. So I was looking at the Rams and the power Rams. And I was, I'm really debating on buying some of those just to give them a shot. But I put or what do you want to use it for? For Kate and Bobcat? For, for Kate and Bobcat. Yeah. 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 Uh, the, uh, the number one or the wolf. Wolfmaster, those both work really good. We use number ones for for coyotes. Some people mm -hmm. use the Wolfmaster for coyotes. We're actually doing a big study here in in uh, Alberta. We have uh, um, south of me, six seven hours is a little town of, of Vegreville, and that is where all of the the Fur Institute of Canada does all the studies and testing on traps and and uh, does all the certification. They do the certification for uh, anywhere in the world that wants wants them. <clears throat> Yeah, and if you're, you know, like we are a signatory to the uh, Ahitas uh, uh, agreement, so all of, all of our traps have to be certified. Now they're working on, they're doing studies on on um, snares, and we go at it differently than a lot of the a lot of the places in the states where the snares can't be lethal. We're trying to make yeah. ours extra lethal. Like we're, yeah. we're 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 working on on big springs and and we're working on. Um, you know the different different ways to to i got a, sp a spring lane here somewhere we're, but we're trying to make it so that when something lands lands in a snare it's not there very long and it's dead you know we're yeah. trying to i don't know there's one here there's a big old coyote spring here anyway but we have two different systems for doing it and one is the ram and it works really good the only thing i think that we're gonna we're gonna change on it is it's going to go uh probably to a a tooth uh cam lock on it Right now, mm -hmm. and it's just a noose that just slides, and yeah. you've got that big spring open, 
but that spring can also be like a bow, right? As right. animal poles, it can it be be like a bow. And if it, uh, if especially for for a coyote or, or a wolf or something, if it's down here, down low on them, like nine times out of ten, or eight times out of ten, anyway, when something gets in a snare, the first thing it does is just like when you try and train a dog, the puppy turns around and backs away from it, right? Well, so mm-hmm. an animal gets in the snare and it turns around and backs away. And then that resets that snare back up to here, right? And this is where we right want under it. the chin. Yeah, yeah. the carotids are, are are there. If and that's always been the argument whether we should have a toothed cam lock on them or not, because that toothed cam lock when it tightens up, if he hits that snare and and takes a couple jumps forward, and it tightens tight here, it's not going to reset back here. It's not going to slide. Yeah. Whereas something with the uh, with, with a, a non-locking uh, uh, lock on it or just a loop, which is what the um, uh, the rams have, will, you know, it'll, it'll loose, loosen enough for it to be able to slide and, and reset. But we're finding that we're having problems with, um, they, they're, they're lasting longer than, than, than you'd think because this is all done scientifically. Like the, the, mm-hmm. the trappers that do it have have cameras and everything is recorded and, and all that, all that kind of stuff to, to watch, watch what happens. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, when you get sometimes with some of the, um, uh, and the other system then is like the Seneca system where you have an actual spring on the snare itself. So mm-hmm. it's just, uh, you know, uh, I, the one I use is, is lights out. And I wish I, I wish I could find it here. It's my desk. I only create in chaos. So, <laughs> Anyway, it's a 70 pound snare and I think the Seneca is 50 pound, but you know, it, it spreads out to be four inches when, when, when it opens up, but it's on this, on the very end of the snare. And when the, the animal pulls hard enough, it takes 26 pounds to, to set the trigger off 26 pounds of pull. And then that opens. So it's, it's already, you know, like here is this, this a coyote was in this. Okay. And you can mm-hmm. see with this particular type of, of lock on it, it actually deforms the, the, uh, the wire, the wire, and it, and it becomes like it, 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 its own lock right there. Right. And then the coyote's yeah. neck was in this. And then on this end of it here, there was a 70 pounds, uh, spring that wants to be out at, uh, out at four inches, but it's, it's restricted to that. So that, that helps kill very quickly. But one of the things that the problems that we we're having with, with these was, um, with the, the, the Seneca system or with the springs on the, on the wire, uh, on the snare itself was the smaller coyotes were not always mm-hmm. setting that snare off. And it was funny because they would, they could uh, review the, the footage of that. They, they'd come up and there'd be an animal, uh, an animal, you know, gasping its last as, as they walked up into their site and they would take a look at the, um, at the, the footage on the trail cam and they discovered that it had actually been maybe been alive for 20 minutes or, or an hour in the snare, but it never pulled hard enough to, to, to set it off. But when they came up, it's they, it they were scared off. and they went to jump away. And they said they, when that spring goes off, that coyote stands still like a, like a, a gut shot animal and its head goes mm-hmm. down and it starts to blink. And a few seconds later, it's on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that's how, how, how quick it works, but that's the only problem we've had. I mean, we do have our coyotes here, you know, like a 23 pound coyote is you know, female. That's, that's pretty common. You know, she might, yeah. might be 23 to 30, 30 pounds, but you know, uh, males, another five pounds on that on average, we, you know, our coyotes are not mm-hmm. big, but um, you know, they got pretty nice fur on them. <laughs> we get, we get some really big coyotes. My biggest in the last 
four years was 52 pounds, I believe. And I caught him in a, on a high fence. I put the snare out and it was such a small little dig out underneath the high fence that I figured I'll probably catch a coon here or a possum. And when I rolled up on him, I was like, oh my goodness, look at the size of this guy. And uh, I had him straight, perfect neck catch. You know, and my, my loop wasn't very big. I figured I was going to catch something smaller. And, uh, you know, I was basically, I had a loop about, about that big. I figured, you know, cat, uh, a coon, a possum, something like that. And, uh, his, his head went right through it. And, uh, when I got up there, he was stone cold dead. Oh yeah. Yep. Uh, we do get, you know, some of the bigger holes, you know, when you put your snare on the, on the fence, I mean, snare and barbed wire and snare and high fence are two different, totally different animals. And when a coyote goes into it, he puts his feet down and a lot of times his head and his feet. And then all of a sudden now you got a hip caught dog waiting on you when you get there. Right. And, right. And, and it's just terrible. I mean, I don't want anything to suffer any longer than it has to, to be honest with you. No. And, uh, and, and I've had quite a few hip caught dogs my first couple of years. And then last year was, last year was pretty good. <laughs> I ain't going to lie. There's a whole bunch of, how am I going to get that out from around his neck? <laughs> <laughs> what, what kind of lock do you use on your stairs? I just use the, I buy mine from Dakota line. I get the Dakota line coyote snares and, uh, I have several with the cam lock and I have several with the, uh, I don't even know what it's called. It's just a, a slim the, lock, the slim lock deal. Yeah. And, uh, but I put out, you know, if I'm on a, a 1200 acre high fence that I trap regularly probably have 40 or 50 of them out. And, and usually, then everywhere there's a slide I'll put in either a dirt hole or a flat set right on the fence line or right. Uh, and then I'll put another snare on the trail that comes out of the shinnery across the road and into the slide. Slide so, is what you're referring to the hole that goes underneath the, yeah, the, fence. the hole that goes under the fence. And okay. a lot of times you'll catch pigs in it. I mean, I've snared pigs clear up to 250 pounds. Wow. And I have them, you'll have them by the back leg or you'll have them right by the tip of the snout. And uh, <laughs> it's something else whenever you walk up on one. And there's such a problem. I mean, they, there's no keeping them out of anything. There's no controlling them. I don't care how many you kill. Uh, there's always going to be more move in. And it is, it is an absolute nightmare for guys on high fence that are running exotics and running, uh, you know, high end whitetails because those whitetails can go through the same place. Oh, okay. So <clears throat> yeah. Now the big, the big bucks won't, but when they drop their antlers, uh, you know, you have that possibility. And when you pay 20,000 for a deer, that's going to be breeding your herd. You don't, you don't want him getting out. <laughs> no, no. It, it sounds very similar to, in, in uh, Africa, uh, they say that uh, no fence will hold a bushbuck or a warthog, and and you laugh and they say no. They here, here's here's a, you build a fence and and you throw a bucket of water at it. If any water gets through, a warthog will get through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey folks, Rich here with some exciting news from TrappingInc.com. We were listening when you said you wanted more clothing, and we heard you loud and clear. We've expanded our clothing line, more colors, men's, ladies, and children's sizes, more variety. 
Living Off Grid gives more time for the creative juices to flow. New humorous observations are added weekly, as well as our classic Trapping Ink logo. We have joined forces with Tee Public. You can find our Tee Public storefront from the store page on trappinginc.com. Just go to www.trappinginc.com forward slash shop. And just scroll down to find the link for our Trapping Ink storefront. Or you can go to tpublic.com and enter Trapping Ink TV in the search bar at the top. Check it out. Big sales every month and you can save up to 35%. Don't miss out. Get your favorite gear today. And now let's get back to today's show. Uh, I heard rumor this year that they had uh, they had warthogs down around the border. The feral yeah. ones got that got out of uh, that got out of high fence down around no. Ozona and areas like that. Really, and uh, you know that's how all the exotics got to be in Texas. Most of them, you know, when the fires yeah. came through, they had to open their fences. And I mean, the other day I was checking my trail camera and, and I'm looking at my trail camera. And I'm, I'm looking at this picture. I'm like, what in the world? Those are those are odd dads. <laughs> I got yeah. two odd dads standing in my feeder, yeah. and I've never had that happen before. Um, and black buck, we've killed some black buck on my deer lease down in south of Abilene. And uh, you know, we have a high fence right next to our deer lease. The back side of the deer lease, it's two thousand acres, and we get this big high fence back there. And uh, he's got all kinds of exotics, but those those little black bucks that can get out, and when they oh, do, God. they're you know, no close season, no limit. I mean, if I saw one in July, I could shoot him legally and, and harvest it. We we hunted Audad when we were in Texas, and it was cool. And <clears throat> it was funny because everybody says, you know, oh, it's a big thing. Uh, you know, we're not we, we don't have any uh, any fenced operations or whatever in in Alberta. Yeah, and most of Canada, you, you, there's none of none of that at all. So it's always whether or not it's high fence and uh, that you're hunting at. And we we went down for free range and we watched you know the 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 guy laughed uh the outfitter laughed he says he says they can jump just about anything they can jump six yeah. foot standing still and he says and, and but he says the the rams don't even do that he says they just hook their horns in it and they twist around until they break the wire out and that's mm-hmm. okay yeah maybe you know uh you know sometimes sometimes things are true sometimes people believe and that's that's enough to make it true right we watched <laughs> it i actually have footage of, oh uh, really yeah and uh the ewes and the and the i don't know what you call it lambs i guess the ewes and the lambs were jumping this fence yeah. and it was like a i don't know three four foot high kind of page wire fence you know mm-hmm. uh, i don't know four inch or five inch square wire and ram come up and he just put his horns into it and he started twisting around on that and pretty soon he walked straight through it and i was like <laughs> i was surprised how early was like a lot of power there, a lot of power, but that was, that was them, you know, that started from 40 of them released in Palo Duro Canyon in 1957. Yeah. Now they, they figure yeah, it's Texas, amazing. Well, they figure between Texas and Mexico, there are 75,000. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's amazing. Yeah. And some of these high fence guys, they have some really exotic things that we have a high fence around here that has kangaroos in it from what I'm told. Yeah. And he sells them out you know ostrich and and things of that nature and uh you know if something if you're not checking your fences uh i mean my lord there's no telling what could be running around you know oh yeah and the lions out here you know they love getting in a high fence oh, well, mountain man. lions will go into a high fence and they will eat until they can't eat anymore and then they'll <laughs> eat some more and uh that's why that's one of the main reasons i run the 650 um, 
because the opportunity of me catching a lion in anywhere that I'm trapping is, is pretty decent. It's not super high, but it's pretty decent. And that's, that is a bucket list animal. I am looking forward to walking up on one day. Still haven't got I one. Just hope it, still haven't got one. I had the, so last year I had a, I had a set on a couple cow carcasses. We had some cows die and uh, we drug them over to the body pit and I put a 650 and I, I put it, I put it usually in the crook of the neck of the cow where he lays. And then I run the chain out around and I hook it into either the pelvis depends on how degraded the cattle is, you know, if it's laying there. And, uh, I can't, I check everything every 24 hours. I'm on it. Every morning I get up, I drink my coffee and I'm on the line until about noon. I come home, skin everything. And then everybody comes home from work and gets off the bus. And, uh, I walked up to that set and I said, Oh man, I got something going on here. So now I'm looking and I could see where the drag was skipping across the ground. Ooh. And this is a 650 with eight foot of chain and a big uh, rebar drag. And I never found that trap. Oh, really? <laughs> I never found that trap. And I asked the, uh, the rancher and the owner, I said, I said, what do you think could have done that? And I said, oh, it's probably a lie. I said, uh, I said, what makes you say that? And then he turned around at the lodge and pointed up at the wall. He said, See that one right there? I shot that one eating a doe one day when I was on the tractor. <laughs> he shot, <laughs> killed him with a twenty-two. <laughs> but he said they're definitely here, you know. Yeah. Well, and uh, the they uh, get big. Well, they, yeah. I mean, uh, the fellow who's uh, the taxidermist that's taking care of my audad, that was what he he did for a living when he was younger. Was he he trapped and he trapped lion? They, I guess, they were like the biggest contract line killers in all of west texas they were uh over yeah. there at uh, fort davis and and that but he all went all the way up into new mexico and all that so then i mm-hmm. started asking him i said did you ever catch a jaguar you know because that that is the area there that corner that has you know just i guess historically there's been as many as 60 jaguar lived there at a time or whatever yeah and he said no he hadn't but he had an old buddy who had and so that was pretty cool to talk to they're quite the animal they go yeah. over 200 pounds and they got we, that giant head on them. <laughs> oh, we get, we get big cats here. I mean, Alberta's probably one of the premier areas to come for a, for a Boone and Crockett cat. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, a 180 pound cat is a big cat. You know, you, you start hitting two, 220, 240, that kind of thing, like a Jaguar. It's like, oh man, that's a lot of cat. Holy yeah. Cow. That's a lot of cat. <laughs> yeah. And, and just like any other cat they're you know, every. I've got a Siamese cat and, and those cats are, they're soulless. Oh, if they can kill it, they're going to kill it. Whether or not they <laughs> eat it, that's the whole different story. You know, I tell and, everybody, and, I tell everybody that's a cat owner. I, I says, if you ever start having chest pain? I says, you throw the cat out the door before <laughs> you take your aspirin and call 911 because you don't, your tomorrow's fancy feast. And that cat won't, won't think a minute about it. You know? <laughs> Yeah, he's going to start on your cheeks and work his way down. That's for sure. That's so, that's a that's a definite. You uh you get a lot of coyotes in a year? Yeah, yeah, I do. I'm uh between trapping them and shooting them, calling them in, shooting them with a thermal, shooting them during the day. I'm up uh I'm up over 80 for the 2021. 
Oh, good. And uh, I just shot 81. I think I think it was 81. I have to go back and look at my records, but I killed him in, in uh, opening day in Kentucky. And uh, <laughs> I heard something coming down the hill, and I looked over, and I said, I can't believe this has happened. This is the second kite I've seen since 05 in Kentucky. So I whacked him. <laughs> I couldn't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't handle it. He wasn't he wasn't prime yet either, so <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't have been. Uh no. What what's your number one favorite set? So my number one favorite set outside of the snares would be your I like I like the I kinda I kinda call it a it's kinda like a dirt hole, but if I can get away with it, and there's no shortage of cow bones laying around out here. So I'll take a cow skull or a cow bone and I'll put some lure underneath it, depending on what time of year it is. And it's more of a curiosity set and I'll dig out around it. I'll bed my trap real good, probably six inches from it. And, uh, man, they can't resist it. They see something big and white in the middle of that big brown field. They got to come check it out. Absolutely. And, uh, and it just, it just kills them. It really does. Um, Every once in a while, I'll catch something in a flat set. Uh, a lot of walkthrough sets, but there's, I, I usually target cats with that because the cats like the sand, and everything out here in West Texas is going to bite you and make you bleed. So <laughs> they like the, they like the the sand. So I'll set it in the sand, and then I'll I'll dress it in with some gravel. And uh, I'll tell you what I got onto last year that really really produced for and produced my biggest pilot last year at 48 pounds was a pipe dream set oh okay yeah yeah and, and you know i had a yeah i had some land i had some old pvc laying around so i want to give this a shot and uh i'll be darned i had a i had a hell of a good dog on a on a pipe dream set oh and, that's uh, cool he had one shoulder kind of rubbed out that kind of made me sad but he still turned out to be a heck of a dog and that dog actually got me a whole nother ranch to trap because the owner of the neighboring ranch was trying to kill that dog. He's seen him several times and he talked to the owner of the ranch I was on. And then he called me, you want, you want some property to trap? I said, yes, sir. I'd love to. He said, all right, uh, meet me over at my house. And we drove around for three hours. I bet you, I bet you we covered 30,000 acres. And, uh, he's like, here's the combos. And, uh, Kill them all. I said, Roger that, sir. And he goes, oh, by the way, kill every pig you see. I said, Roger that. I'll take care of all of it. And uh, he's been really happy with my progress. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're running a lot of cattle out there. And the calves, the calves just don't stand a chance when they're dropping. And, you know, you got five or six coyotes working one field. And, uh, you know, the cows, they're dropping calves. And, and the coyotes are snatching them up as fast as they can drop them. It, it's really... It's nature at its finest, but oh, yeah. it's terrible to see on a financial situation for the rancher. I, Granted, I, everybody said they make so much money, you don't need to worry about it, but it's not no, about that. It's about not, not, not the rancher. The rancher doesn't. Exactly. It's all the middlemen that take the big chunks out of it. My daughter yeah. has a, I don't know, 700 head of for in her herd and that. I know what they make, mm -hmm. you know, and I mean, yeah. it, it's it's not big money by any means. It's I mean, it's a great life. And, and, uh, it is. I, I love, I love, uh, my grandkids being raised there, you know, and, but it's, it, it, they're, they're not making big money. Your coyotes, are they Western or Eastern? Like, do they, they're do they, Western. So they, they grade yeah. well, they, they're good fur. 
Well, according to my fur buyer, oh, these ain't gonna make nothing. It'll give you it'll give you eight dollars, you know. Um, so I, I was working with a fur buyer out of Louisiana. He rolls through twice a year, and he bought everything green from me. And and uh, I said, okay, that's that's less work I have to do. Well, the first year, you know, I turned in ten cats, twenty five coyotes, and probably forty coons. And he wrote me a check for 400 bucks. And I was like, wow, that, that covers gas for a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then the next year it was a couple cats and 25 coyotes and a whole bunch of big, great big raccoons. And you know, that check cut in half to $217. Ouch. So last year uh, I filled the freezers. They're still full of fur. Mowing season started off really quickly on me. So I didn't get a chance to, to take care of anything. So I still have yet. I got to thaw everything out. I got to flush everything out. I got to dry everything. And I told myself, I'm going to get one freezer empty before I. Yeah. So that's, that's the goal coming up here within the next two weeks. I'm going to be turning for like a madman (laughs) trying, trying to get as much done as I can. We're, we're lucky where we are. I mean, we have the best when it comes to, coyotes and that kind of stuff like i mean uh it is nothing for to average uh, you know over a hundred dollars for your coyotes oh wow like for every coyote you know you so you might have some that go 180 190 and you might have some that go a hundred dollars less than that but you'll average over a hundred dollars for all of them you know um it's it i mean but you're mowing lawns and and i've got about eight inches of fresh snow to shovel so <laughs> yeah most definitely. <laughs> yeah, wanted- we, we, we only hit like two months. About two months is about all you really get for really good prime, thick undercoat, uh, long guard hair. And then they start rubbing. Because yeah. you get one week of 60 degree weather after it's been 30 for a month. And, and it just changes everything. You know, it really, really does. Yeah. 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 When, and <laughs> And 30 isn't very cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Down here in West Texas, get, we had that freeze in February. We had people freeze to death. I know. I know. I was I was, was astounded talking to people. It was and, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I talked to an old fella. Where the hell were we? We were um, driving to Fort Davis. And so what's the name of the little town where they launched Captain Kirk into space there? Um, it was so oh, funny. Well, it was, you know, he went up in that, in that, um, Jeff Bezos, um, rocket ship there that oh, happened yeah, while yeah, we were yeah. there. And it was funny. Oh, because, really? Yeah. It was, it, well, we were listening to the local radio station that they were telling everybody that the, that the, uh, the municipal dump was closed. The local landfill was closed until, <laughs> until the rocket ship came back down. <laughs> what was the name? There, there's a restaurant there, Chewy's Restaurant, Mexican restaurant. And that was the big thing with um, Madden, John John Madden, because he would never fly. Uh-huh. He always drove through there in his, in his bus and that kind of stuff. It was a oh, Chewy's okay. restaurant all the time. They have this, this shrine to, to him there. <laughs> oh, I forget the name of the town. Goodness sakes. Anyway, there's this old weasened up fellow there sitting there having a, a burger and a and a coke while we we stopped to get something to drink before we left the town and headed for Fort Davis and, and he heard us talking to the uh, 
the counter girl and, and he says y'all not from around here are you <laughs> i says no we're not <laughs> and so we get talking he, he says he was talking about how they had some pretty cold weather last year and all that kind of stuff and i says yeah I says, buddy, we call that a nice Tuesday. And he says, where yeah, are you from? Exactly. So, <laughs> so I, told, I told him where we were from. And, and he says, he says, you know, he says, I've I've about outlived my ability for that weather. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. We had we had well, they cut the electricity, is what the biggest problem was. Yeah. And when they cut the electricity, um they cut a lot of the, the like the water, the city water got they got shut down too. So, I mean, granted where I'm at, I'm outside of city limits, thank God. And uh, I'm on a different water source than the city as well. And, and I lost power for 30 minutes. It was the worst 30 minutes of my life, I swear to God. But uh, I had plenty of firewood. <laughs> and, and, and that's what I did during the whole deal. I, I drove around and checked on my clients and I checked on friends and family and stuff like that. And made sure everybody had firewood, everybody had water. You know, driving on ice, growing up in Pennsylvania, you kind of, you kind of learn how to do that yeah, <laughs> on a regular yeah. basis. Yeah. Um, so I had no issues, uh, but we had, you know, I had some elderly people go take their dog out back and slip on the ice and fall. And, and then nighttime came and uh, that was it. And it was, it was pretty sad. Now, not a lot of people checking on each other enough. They did, but they didn't check on each other enough. Just not um, used to it. Not, not I, used to it at all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I There's know. no salt trucks or sand trucks. You know, they put down a, a brine on the road and, you know, and, that, and that's about it. And that, uh, that's only good to tell about freezing. And then exactly. beyond that, it, it, it takes a lot more. We, I know we've tried everything under the, under the sun up here and it just comes down to plain old rock salt and, and a yep. little bit of gravel and it can get too cold for that too. You get down to yeah. 40 below, nothing works. Actually at oh, about, yeah. at about 25 below, something like that. Pretty much nothing. And we're looking, we're looking at probably looking at another uh, pretty severe winter this year. I mean, the, the old timers tell me, you know, when the mesquite trees don't produce beans, we got, uh, we got a cold winter coming. Well, I saw one mesquite tree this year that had beans on it. And I see millions of mesquite trees in my travels every week. It's so funny and, uh, that you mentioned that because we were, we were there in, by Fort Davis and it was the first time in six years that they had beans on their mesquite trees. They had, really? they had 15 inches of rain there over three months. And he said, and he's, and he's talking about how glorious it looked. I was thinking, you know, you could have filled the filmed the, the moon landing here. You know I mean? It, it looked pretty bleak, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that high desert, you know, we're about yeah, oh, yeah. foot on the desert floor. And, and I, you know, I thought it, it, it's pretty bleak looking, and, but he, he says it was so lush. And I don't know how, what your country looks like where you are. We, uh, around there, it was so bleak and there was really, not a lot of cattle or anything there. They had 120 head of cattle on 10,000 acres. And it's like, that's just about as worthless as a Walmart parking lot. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> we had, we had that on, on a uh, 1200 acres. Yeah. 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 That was, uh, I, I was, uh, I was just shocked that the, you know, <laughs> 10,000 acres. I said, well, how many can you have a cow on your 120? He's like, wow that is worthless <laughs> and, and they're all probably they're all pretty pretty hungry i imagine well no they were, were doing really good the 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 uh oh, they were. grandma the, the blue grandma grass blue buffalo grandma grass or whatever was mm -hmm. up to their bellies because they had so much so much rain but he says you know we oh, we, we don't put no more extra on because this is what we crop in bad or you know how we 
we uh, graced it in bad years. So, so I was, I was, it's just different. It's just different, go to different places, right? You know, and, oh, yeah, and, definitely. And see that kind of stuff. But I want to talk about, you were talking about thermal and, yeah. and, and about helicopter hunting and, and for hogs and that. That has to be about as much fun as you can have with your pants on. It it is. I want to tell you that the helicopter side of the house, I haven't had any experience with it, but the ranches that I do trap, the owners have the, they have, you know, they're all doctors, uh, business owners, uh, very, very well off folks. And they, they spend a lot of money on their property to make sure it's where they need to be to continue the operation. Um, so they have friends up in, Fort Worth area that have helos and they, they bring in clients and, and I, I know on a couple ranches, they killed, you know, 400 pigs in two days, three days. Wow. And you know, the, I said, well, what'd you do with them all? He said, they're all laying out there. So they're all getting eaten by coyotes. So get out there and get after them. I, and that's exactly what I found. I mean, they don't last very long. These coyotes, I never thought a coyote would eat a pig. Why not? And uh, just because there's so many of them, they'll eat a deer. I'll tell you what, you catch, you catch a deer in a snare or something of that nature. When you get to it, it's a murder scene. Yeah. It's just hair bone and that's it. Um, but I didn't really, I never saw that with the pigs. And last year, uh, when I got my thermal, I went out and I started shooting hogs off a of wheat field. And I probably shot, we probably had 16 or 18. I'm laying there dead. And we pulled down to the next field and then turned around. And, you know, we were probably gone an hour and we were coming back. And I got the thermal out. I said, let me check his field again to see if the pigs came back out. And there was dead pigs laying everywhere. And I saw a coyote running with a dead piglet in his mouth. I saw another coyote chewing on a dead hog. I was like, oh, my goodness, they're, they're cleaning up already. And even the rancher said, he goes, he goes, don't even worry about the pigs in the field. He goes, the wheat's still growing and the coyotes will have them gone by the time the wheat's ready to be harvested. Oh yeah. And he wasn't, he wasn't wrong at all. It was, I, it was amazing. I got buddies who, uh, especially over in Saskatchewan where they can use, uh, domestic animals for, for bait, uh, here in Alberta, mm-hmm. we can't, we have to mm-hmm. pick up roadkill or whatever, like moose yeah. deer and elk that get run over that kind of stuff. But over there, they can use dead animals and 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 transport them to to, to bait sites and that kind of stuff. And I know one guy who who works off of a, a farrow operation, and so they have all. You would not believe how many piglets die. Like I mean, literally, oh, yeah. he 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 fill a, a truck box. He has a, mm-hmm. a truck box full of dead piglets and afterbirth and all that kind of stuff, and that's what he shovels out at at his bait sites. Like mm-hmm. you have to have a fa- fairly strong stomach to be able to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure but it works that's good sure. it's good bait you know it's great bait yeah and i mean most of the time with bait you're feeding the birds anyway you know because yeah. you want you, the birds are they're making a big ruckus and that's what brings the coyotes you know mm-hmm. hey folks rich from trapping Inc. tv here and it's no secret that i'm a big fan of coffee our friends at old smokes smoke roast their coffee beans over wood fires you have no idea how good coffee can taste until it's smoked coffee. Did you know that studies have shown that just the smell of fresh coffee can boost brain activity? Yeah, it's that good. Sandy and I have teamed up with Old Smokes Coffee to make our own Trapping Ink coffee blend. 
let me introduce you to Wolverine, an ultra dark roast coffee bean smoked over maple wood fires. This is the pure, uncut Trapper's Fuel that keeps us laughing and trapping all day long. If you'd like to try our special blend, you can find it at www.trappinginc.com forward slash shop. If dark roast isn't your thing, Old Smokes has five different coffee roasts from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor. Right now, you can order from their online store and use our promo code RICH, that's R-I-C-H, and get 10% off your entire order. Just go to www.oldsmokescoffee.com. That's O-L-E, smokescoffee.com, and use the promo code RICH. That is promo code RICH for 10% off your entire order. And now let's get back to today's show. Out here, it's uh, if you shoot a deer with a rifle or a bow and you don't recover that deer within a couple hours, your chances of coming up on half a deer are pretty high. Yeah, they really, really are. If that deer dies and you don't recover that deer within six hours, um, your your chances of coming up on half a deer are pretty pretty good. Well, it's it's that way in the farmland around here in the agriculture, but not in the bush. You know, like I mean, the the bigger, I mean, you have much bigger coyotes in the bush. Uh, My biggest coyote ever was forty two pounds, and that was in the bush. I mean, he was like looked like half a wolf kind of thing. Well, literally is Mm -hmm. about half half an average wolf, but but you know they have to be that big to compete out there. Uh, Yeah, our our farmland coyotes, you know, are you know thirty pounds would would be a, a dead on average for them, but they uh if you, I, I can't imagine like, I mean, you watch you grew, grew, grew up watching deer hunting and that on TV and they would leave that deer overnight. I got to think that bow hunters were the worst hunters ever because <laughs> they would take and run an arrow through it. They'd watch it fall, but we're going to leave it there overnight and make sure, you know, <laughs> once I got into TV, I realized that was all just BS, but anyway, because yeah. around in any of the farm areas, you know, like from, where I live and south, right down through southern Alberta, it'll be eight overnight. It, the yeah. coyotes, coyotes that find it, they it would definitely be eight overnight. So, yeah, Mother Nature takes care of itself Absolutely. pretty efficiently, you're, very efficiently. You're talking about uh, you're starting to get more um, Californians and that kind of stuff moving into Texas. And yeah. so, you're going to have start having that clash. But I mean, because everything is so privately owned, uh, mm-hmm. there's not much they can do about it, right? You know, like exactly not, not like what they did in, in, in New Mexico, but it was so funny. I think you, you'd mentioned Meat Eater, and I think it was Meat Eater that just had out a video. There's a golden eagle sitting on the back of a uh, of an antelope and eating it. Yeah, and they, every well, time it's it would alive. Take, yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> see, <laughs> that, that's Mother Nature. That, absolutely, that's Mother Nature, and and you know it would it would ball every time that it would the eagle would bit would had its claws sunk into it. There's blood running down the sides of it. And, and that eagle would go down and, and, and hook a, a hunk out with its beak and that, and the thing would ball and people would say, well, why doesn't it roll over? Well, it doesn't know to roll over. Why doesn't it run under a fence? It doesn't know to run under a fence. It's an animal. It's not a sentient yeah. being. And I do a lot of seminars. One of the biggest things that people want two two animals that people are most fascinated with Wolverine and wolves. Yeah. And, so when you talk about wolves, I try to explain to them that it's just a fact of nature that whenever that animal, you know, quits trying to get away, all animals die from either suffocation or from loss of blood. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And so when, when uh, like a pack of wolves, they, they actually just wear an animal down. It's, it's gruesome. Most often when you, when you hit where uh, wolves have got on a moose, the, the, the kill scene will be half a mile to a mile long. And you will, yeah. in the end, you know, that, that moose will be tripping over its own innards and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's gruesome. And whenever yeah. it quits moving, whenever it quits trying to run, they don't no longer try to kill it with those teeth. They start eating. They start eating. They're yeah, feeding well, right well, away. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, they, they're, they're an animal. They're, they're, there's no, they, there's in their world, there's no, none of this morality that we have. I was uh, hunting this, uh, we were hunting the, a nice, nice buck deer. We ended up getting it a couple weeks later, but there was a nice buck and my wife wanted a nice buck and she's got a nice one on the wall. But now, but, um, we, we were out right until after dark and came back through and, and uh, next morning we, we, we go out and there's this calf, a calf moose that got caught in a fence, uh, jumping a fence. And, and it was, it had been eight. Okay. And it mm-hmm. hadn't been there the night before. So this is literally the overnight kind of thing. Right. And I walk up and I, and, and I look at it and I mean, it's back end is eight right up to its rib cage. Okay. And it's like minus, you know, so about 25 below kind of thing. Right. I look at it and it blinks. Oh my like, goodness. Yeah. It was like, I just, I mean, I've killed more stuff than the black death. I mean, I have yeah. killed a lot of things <laughs> in my life, but I could not kill that fast enough after that. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I could have took my knife out and cut its throat, but I, I, I shot it in the head. Like, I mean, it is, yeah. it was to me, the horror that that animal went through for hours, you know, caught yeah. in that fence and, and they just eating on it was just, but, that's it's not that way in the animal's world. It's not that no, way at all. No, it's not. You know, and, and and I explain this to people and, and you watch people and they I says, Well, you know, those teeth aren't very efficient at, at you know, you might think they are, but a, a wolf doesn't just walk up and go swing its head and and and, and hamstring an animal and or or you know, it cut its throat or whatever. That's not how it works, you know. No wolves start by you know, they start jumping up and they and they grab a hold with their teeth on the back of the uh of the uh the 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 rump where the animal can't hit it with horns or, or kick it or whatever. And they hang off of it. And eventually that animal just can't run with them hanging off it anymore. And then, then they start in there and they start ripping and tearing it, but it is a gruesome long, long, long death scene. Like, I mean, there's, there's nothing sweet about it. People talk about, uh, about trapping and uh, you know, there, there's, there's four ways that an animal dies, you know, he, he, uh, I mean, he either dies of starvation, he gets ate by something else, he gets a disease and dies, or he dies in my trap. Now, my trap, exactly. in my trap in, in, in Canada, you know, like uh, Fisher and, and Martin and that we picked up on the weekend, 120 seconds, 120 seconds yeah. and they're dead. My time comes, I'll take the 120 seconds, you know? All day long. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> people say, long. well, they can die of old age. Well, no, they don't because it, no. you can look up any, any study you want on, uh, on uh, Google. I mean, once again, you know, here we have all the information mm-hmm. of the world right there. Look it up. And it'll say in those studies that the amount of animals that die of old age is insignificant is, yeah. is not worth mentioning. So they get four ways to die again. They can get eight, yeah. they can starve to death. They can get disease. Not yep. a pleasant deal, is it? You I know? actually found one that died of old age Did two you? weeks ago in Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. A big, big white tail. He had, you know, six inch bases and he was, he was all deformed. He had junk everywhere. 
and uh, it was it was an absolute fantastic find with a headlamp in the dark. I was like, what? Oh my goodness! Look at this guy, and uh, it, it's just you know, as soon as I saw it, I was like, "How rare is this?" Yeah, this is probably one of the coolest things I'll ever find in the woods, and I'm in the woods a lot. You know, and you don't know what actually actually killed him. Whether he actually died, you know, did drop dead of old age of a heart attack. We were hunting one time in New Zealand, and. Sandy shoots a, a a really nice red stag and it just turns and it gets over into this gully. And of course the gullies there are just like straight oh, up yeah, and straight down. Straight right? down. <laughs> so it was like, Oh no, it made it into the gully. And and so we go over there and we're, we're of course we've got our heads down. We're tracking and that looking for blood and all that. We find it. And, and uh, the, uh, the one guide there, he says, see here, what the bloody hell is that smell? And, <laughs> and we start looking around and here, the, the hillside was like this, and there were, of course, trails along this hillside, right, mm-hmm. uh, where, where the animals would walk in that. And there was this big manuka tree. And here was this big, it was, it was like a 400-inch stag, and he'd been rubbing his horns on this manuka tree, slipped on the mud on the, on the trail, and hung himself off, oh. off, off this tree, <laughs> hung by his horns. Okay, so he hung by his horns, and you could see where he clawed away at the at the bank and everything. And what, horrible, he would have died of uh, uh, probably of of um, uh, dehydration would have would have gone. Yeah. It would have been water that lack of water that would have killed him. But he would would have maybe took a week or whatever to die. You know, it's just oh yeah. You, you look at it. I mean, Mother Nature is not some blue haired old lady. You know, baking cookies. <laughs> oh no, she's she's the meanest one on the block. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> She is, she, she has the wrath of God and, you know, it's, it's amazing. You know, the older I get, the more, the more I pay attention. Yeah. And you, you see the little things and, you know, if I walk by an oak tree, that's, you know, as big around as my desk in West Texas, the first thing that pops in my mind isn't, Boy, that's a lot of firewood. It's I wonder what kind of Indians played on this oak tree, you know? Oh my things god! Things like and that. By the way, we have no oak here, so I mean, I got, I got to see like actual. I think you call them acorns. We call them acorns, but I yeah. seen them on a, on a bur oak, and I seen them on a red oak, and that was just the coolest damn thing ever. And yeah. I'm a big firewood guy, so yeah, I looked at him, thought there's a lot of a lot of cool firewood. That's trees. a lot of a lot of cool firewood. <laughs> what's What's your country look like there? You You say you're north of Abilene. So, yeah, most of the property that I run is north of Abilene. Uh, Abilene is flat for the most part. It's little rolling hills. Um, like Pecos? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I've been down south Texas into like Sanderson and Ozona and, and Pendale and stuff like that. And you got those big, big uh, valleys and such. We don't, we don't have that. We have, uh, there's some areas, you know, you'll have a, a mesa that might be 60 feet tall. Okay. Um, you'll have little mountains here and there, but mostly it's, it's like a, it's really flat. Okay. Um, you'll have like your papers. rocks. <laughs> yeah. Rocks and sandy areas. And then you'll have your little, uh, real sandy areas of shinnery, which is the thickest stuff you've ever seen in your life. And, uh, but it's, it's not like Amarillo flat where you can watch your dog run away for three days, <laughs> but it's, uh, 
You, you probably get about you probably get about half a day here. <laughs> <laughs> Still enough. <laughs> Still enough. Yeah. So do yeah. you have big trees then, or, or are they just in river valleys, or what? No big. Trees? No, we have. You'll see them in the river valleys. You'll see the big giant ones in the river valleys, and they're very rare. Um, I've seen them in uh, my deer lease down in Coleman, Texas. I've seen some really, really beautiful giant trees. But there's, you know, I, I tell people, they said, where do you live? I said, I, I live where Lowe's gets all their wood. Because <laughs> there isn't a straight tree around here. I've got five uh, summit deer stand, climbing deer stands, and I never get to use them unless I haul them out of state. <laughs> so everything here, you know, ground blind, tower blind, uh, uh, tripod, things like that. But the, yeah, the, the lack of water really plays a big part in it. We either get a whole bunch of it or we don't get any at all. <laughs> it's very rare that you, you know, you have, a, we had a pretty wet year this year. Yeah. yeah. You know, and one, one day we get eight inches that really affected my dove fields because we couldn't get in there and plow them for three weeks. And oh, then okay. by then it was too late, um, right on the river bottom. You see some flash flooding. Uh, one of the things I tell people about the weather in Abilene is whenever I was active duty and I moved here, I got my sponsor letter. And uh, one of the phrases in the sponsor letter was uh, turn around, don't drown. And I said, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to West Texas, you know, Kevin Costner, tin cup kind of stuff. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Turn around, don't drown. And then we had a flash flood and we had a whole bunch of rain come through and all the roads are covered in water. And I was like, yeah, I can see, I can see why people, you know, do that you get that little low car with the intake down really low and now you need a new motor <laughs> i mean you see that Pe- quite a bit people can be so stupid we, yeah i mean the same thing happens here you know you'll have once or twice a year in the summertime you'll have a have a big a thunderstorm a, a good cell will hit like edmonton you know mm-hmm. and it's it's a city of a million people or whatever but you know you have places where where there's a uh, an overpass, and so the, the other road underneath dips down, goes like that. Well, guess what? That fills full of water, you know, three, four feet of water, and it'll be on the local news, and there'll be there's somebody with the, with the vehicle drowned out in the water, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, the record the record guys love that, I imagine. Yeah, it's like how dumb can you be, man? <laughs> it's just you know, it's paying attention to the little things. Yeah, uh, yeah, like the weather app <laughs> on your phone. <laughs> People today, though, I mean, never before has the term common sense is not so common ever meant as much as it did today. Like you just, you're just out there all the time, you know, you're rescuing. And I mean, I live in the North where Jesus, you should, I mean, Darwin should have made sure that, that uh, (laughs) you're not surviving, but you know, we're, 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 we're so padded and protected anymore that, I mean, idiots are are surviving out here. Right. Oh yeah. And we're, you know, you're in winter. <clears throat> Sandy had one of those one of the people that she was taking care of had, had went to Edmonton for a weekend and they they come back and I mean weather rolls in here right it it, it hit like 46 below and and they still come home at 46 below I would sit wherever the hell I was and and they come home and and the, their car froze solid on them like I mean your antifreeze will even gel and everything at that those temperatures because yeah. then you've also got a wind uh windshield on top of that right you're you're driving mm-hmm. at 60 miles an hour in there Anyway, it froze solid on them. They didn't even have a pair of boots or a heavy coat or anything in the car. It was like, 
if there was ever a Darwin moment, that was it. Like, yeah. good Lord. And they got, of course, you know, the Lord takes care of idiots and, and fools. And somebody, <laughs> somebody came along and took care of them, right? But like, well, he needs I, something to laugh at. That's what the deal is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teaching my kids how to drive now. And it's, uh, you know, we really got to pay attention. You're just you starting know, just, because you still got a lot of hair left. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's leaving rapidly. That's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. I was uh, I was trying to, uh, you know, like all of the, once again, all the, all the people in the, in the uh, uh, Wild Sheep Club that I'm doing this magazine for, they're, they're all my kids' ages, right? They're, they're in their mid-30s and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, they don't have a, too big of an idea. I mean, they know their job, but they don't have a lot of life experience on the outside of, of whatever their job is. And, and uh, you know, they're, so they're constantly after you, well, how do you do this? How do you do that? When did I become the tech guy? You know, like, I mean, when I graduated <laughs> high school, there weren't even computers, you know, there weren't, yeah. you know, I, I literally graduated high school two years before you were born. And yet I'm the <laughs> tech guy, right? <laughs> I said to them, I said, you know, if I... But I, I'm so busy that if I had any hair, it would have caught on fire two days ago. You know, I was like, no, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, this has been a blast. We have talked for an hour and a half and I, I feel like we could just keep on talking. I, uh, we've got, we've got a, a lot of common. We're going to have to do this again real soon. Oh yeah, definitely. I, uh, I want to plug the Texas Trappers Association. You go right ahead. Um, they, uh, they put on a good uh, rendezvous this fall and, uh, I'm looking forward to or the spring rendezvous. I went to the spring rendezvous up in the north part of Texas. And, and I'm I'm right in the middle of three different districts. So I can go one county over, I'm in four. I can go another county over, I'm in the other district. And one county north, I'm in a different district. Oh, cool. So I kind of trapping all three. But uh, I'm looking to get more involved once I uh, move on professionally into real estate and stuff like that, I think. I think I'm going to get more involved in the Texas Trappers Association for sure. Well, and, you know, uh, we all that's have a key. To. We we we, we all do. Have, we all have to, and and you know, you have to you have to answer those questions. God knows, I answer a lot of them every day by email and everything else. But it is it is our responsibility because nobody else is going to do it. Nobody's going to do it for us. Yeah, yeah. My yeah. my dad tried to give me a whole bunch of muskrat traps and stretchers and and stuff like that when I was home. And I said, I said, I don't have, I can't use these. He goes, well, what am I going to do with them? I said, get a hold of the PA Travers Association, donate them. Yeah. And get these kids doing it. I said, that's a key. Absolutely. I said, because it's not going to be there if you don't. And and that's what every kid starts on squirrels and muskrats. Absolutely. Oh yeah. I heard yeah. The, I heard the kids that started on squirrels this year got paid pretty well. They sure <laughs> did. And do you know why that is? It's because, because all the mink got COVID. Yep. That's and what I and heard. everybody, everybody talks about, Oh, there's just no money in fur and all that. And I keep saying that, that, you know, uh, our biggest problem is ranching is, is fur ranchers. And, and, and reasons being is that they have used us as an, as an excuse, you know, we're, we're their justification because they use wild fur and they, they help the trappers and all that. But no, all of a sudden when there's no, when there's no female mink around, which are the lesser quality animals, right. When there's no female mink around to make those, those platons, the uh, the inner inner linings and that for jackets. Now all of a sudden they're using squirrel and muskrat. And look and, and and look look at the money that happened last year. You know people were getting three bucks for a squirrel. 
I wish they'd use raccoons because I could use more than $2 for a raccoon. <laughs> I don't know why a raccoon is not worth money. That is such beautiful fur. It Back is... in the day, my, they, we used to take a whole raccoon. My dad talked about it. My granddad talked about it. They would take, they would, they would trap the coon, dispatch him, and take him to the fur buyer, and they would get a $20 bill. Yeah. And that's in the late 70s. Yeah. Mid yeah. to late 70s, $20 was a hell of a lot more than what $20 is right now. Oh, my God. Especially the way so, inflation's going. Your, your, your oh, genius yeah. over in D.C. is taking care of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. I love sure. that one. <laughs> well, buddy, that was I'm one of the funniest you... things I've seen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to let you go. And I, I want to thank you. Uh, did you, uh, did you have a, uh, like a Texas trappers association website or something you wanted to, you wanted to, uh, uh, put out there or. Oh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't believe so. Uh, I don't have anything. Uh, I'm really, if you, if you think about it, I'm kind of new to the game, you know, I've been in it four or five years, uh, really hitting it hard. And, uh, and I, I've gotten some of my buddies involved in it. Their wives aren't too happy about it. <laughs> but uh you know you, you can always you always get that grin when you mention hellfire and the mailman and, <laughs> or some gusto in the mailman you know my mailman hates me significantly i will tell you that right now because not only do i have a really long distance from my mailbox to my front door i buy things by the dozen on a regular basis so you know carrying all them packages uh they get kind of sick of me plus the smell is uh pretty bad too <laughs> Well, it's funny because we have uh, a rural post office and, and uh, you know, with the post office box, the rural post office the, there, so it weighs away. They have two numbers on speed dial, 911 and me. <laughs> and you. <laughs> That's for sure. That is for sure. Yeah, I, I use, uh, I, I've gotten some really rank stuff in the mail. You know, the K911 is a new bait coming out at Apparition Scent Company in Pennsylvania. And then I use a lot of Dunlap stuff. And uh, the Gusto, I, I bought Gusto this year for the first time. And, you know, we have friends over, they walk through the garage, they're like, you got a skunk in your garage? And I was like, I got one in a freezer, but that's not it. <laughs> and, and my wife's like, yeah, it just started smelling really bad. I said, oh, that's got to be that Gusto. And uh, she's like, where is it? I said, it's in that ammo can inside of a Ziploc bag full of baking soda inside of a mason jar <laughs> inside of the package it was shipped in and my wife looks at me and she goes i'm surprised our mail isn't strewn the whole way up and down the street <laughs> <laughs> and i just tell them that's a smell of money that's what yeah, i tell them it's bet. not a lot of money it's just just a little bit of money <laughs> <laughs> all right sir uh thank rich you. i i really appreciate it man i really do and uh you guys keep keep running the line, keep getting the kids involved, keep laughing. That's uh that's the key. We are going to, and we're going to come back to the wonderful Republic of Texas. I tell you that. <laughs> hey, let me know when you do, man. We'll get the thermal out, and we'll go out at night, and uh, we'll raise some hell. And all of a sudden, it'll be three o'clock in the morning, and you'll be like, "Man, I don't, I'm not ready to go to bed." I said, "Near am I? Let's go get another one." <laughs> you got it, man. You take care, and for all of our friends out there, I hope you enjoyed our, our chat tonight. And maybe we'll see you down the line.